Welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. I am your host, Ryan Hartley. This podcast is for heart-centered leaders just like you. I hope our time spent together helps you leave a heart print where those around you are left better than yesterday. These interview sessions are sponsored by our great friends at Elevate Online Marketing. On episode 208, I am joined by Travis Steffens. Travis is the CEO of The Breath Source and he is a conscious capitalist. We talk about his upbringing on the ranch in Colorado. We talk about the companies that he's built and sold and how he has been restoring America through the vehicle of distressed real estate. His heart for conscious capitalism has seen his company invest in shared living spaces that keeps people in their homes and transforms the lives of homeless people by giving them skills and employment. Along the healing journey, Travis has discovered several healing modalities, including the power of breathwork, frequently doing those breathwork sessions with workers at the start of the day. Travis is joining forces with 18 of the world's leading breath masters to bring the breath source to the world. The breath source launches on February the 3rd and is the world's first breathwork marketplace app. The app has one simple vision, to share the power of breath with the world, one inhale and one exhale at a time, leading the world into conscious capitalism. It's a great conversation. I highly recommend you go and check out the Breath Source app when it releases on the 3rd of February. Be sure to go download it. Be sure to go check it out. You will see some familiar faces, the breathwork legends that are Mike Meyer and David Florence, who have been on this show in the past. And the Breathwork channel I, I personally use in Dan Vadney as well. So there's incredible people, 18 of the world's leading breath masters, Travis included. It's the Breath Source app. Be sure to download it and uh, enjoy your breathwork journey. One inhale and exhale at a time. Travis, welcome to the Always Best in Yesterday podcast. How are you? Very good. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here, Ryan. Uh, it's, um, it's great. We were connected by our good friend, David Florence, and David's been on the show a couple of times. And uh, I, I know that we're about to have a, a great conversation if it's a recommendation from our good friend, David. Awesome. I agree. I was looking at your bio and uh, there's something that's really like captured my heart. And it's that you were born and raised on a large cattle ranch in a tiny Colorado town. And I guess I'm I'm at that point in my life where the sound of living on a ranch, you know, some land, some animals, nature i guess that really kind of appeals to me now uh i've got to a point in my life where i think less is more what was it like growing up on a, on, a, on a cattle ranch in, in colorado oh man telling the story now is is nearly like telling a fairy tale yeah. so when i when i tell the story it's hard to believe that it's that it truly was real and so blessed and i believe that when we decide to come to this physical plane, we get to choose our life in some form or fashion. And I'm so grateful that I chose the parents <laughs> that I chose. And um, so our cattle ranch was right up against the base of the mountains in a very small town called Monta Vista, Colorado. And so every morning I'd get up and, and uh, we lived in the same house my entire life. It was 120 years old. It was made out of giant stones that you um, came from a quarry there. And, and I would get up and we'd hear all the birds and, and I'd run outside and it'd be that cold, crisp air. We had a creek running right by the house and I loved to fly fish and I'd go catch fish every day. And, um, but it wasn't always 
having fun. Um, we were raised on the ranch and we were homeschooled specifically for slave labor purposes. <laughs> and, and our parents worked us all the time. Yeah. So we had to work from the moment we got up. Um, as we were children, they were called chores. And then as we grew older, driving tractors and feeding the cows and we had 1,200 head of cattle. And so we were one of the largest cattle ranches in Colorado. And so I grew up on a horse. I can still rope off of a horse like there's no yeah. tomorrow. And we'd have to go out and doctor the cows. And then every year we'd get all the cows together and we'd take them up into what we called the high country, the high mountains. And we had a cabin up there. And so taking about six, 700 head up to the mountains and moving them on a regular mm. basis and not losing any of them and keeping them all together uh, it was truly an operational cattle ranch that you mm. would see in like the likes of the movie Yellowstone. Like Yellowstone is exactly how it was raised. Yeah. Oh, mate, even with you describing it, I, I want to experience that even more. It sounds so powerful. And I, I think you, by sounds of that, by the sounds of that, like character building, you know, what did that, I think it's a lot in our formative years, you know, about our character and our values. How did that shape you as a, as a young adult? Oh, it was so powerful. So first and foremost, I would say that common sense is a fleeting thing nowadays. <laughs> and we were raised where um, common sense was a must, yeah. whether you were in the mountains and you had to have common sense to be able to get your way back to your vehicle or get your way back to the, the cabin. Um, you had to be able to work through scenarios that nowadays I'm nervous about the the children and the people because of the lack of common sense, number one. So it was very a common sense oriented nature. Mm -hmm. And then being in nature on a 24 seven basis, connecting to the earth, connecting to Gaia, connecting to your yeah. surroundings. Uh, we hunted for a living. Um, mm -hmm. Hunting's not something that I, I do anymore. I'm not passionate about it, but it was a culture. Mm -hmm. um, we would go up and we would get three or four elk a year and they would feed our family for the entire year. Wow. And animals were looked at as a resource mm -hmm. and learning to connect with animals and knowing what it's like to take a life so that you can understand what life is. A lot of people will say I'm a peaceful person, but mm -hmm. yet they don't understand or know whether or not they are capable of not being peaceful because mm -hmm. you need to know you're capable of, of sure. the opposite of that, which yeah. is to know what you are. Mm -hmm. And so uh, being being able to take a life to be able to understand what it's like to give life and then to be able to birth a calf out of a, a mother who's who's having we call it calving so being able to take that baby and, and take it out of the mother's womb and be able to see life being given and yet at the same token being taken away on the other hand mm. the experiences of all of that is I'm going to start crying talking about it too much. But the experiences <laughs> yeah, of all yeah. of that are are so fundamental to who I am today yeah, and the yeah. ability to handle what I'm capable of handling now. I, I constantly ask myself, why was I born with that foundation? Mm -hmm. And I, I just look at what I've been able to create today and I have to give gratitude to the foundation. And that mm -hmm. ranch was the foundation. My family was the mm -hmm. foundation. That's powerful. And, and I, I look forward to getting to the bit where David comes into the story with this wonderful thing that you're creating and building. But one of the things that David said in our introduction that really pricked my ears up was this idea of conscious capitalism is two words mm -hmm. I've never heard together. 
uh, and I'm here for it. I would love to know your journey into this thing called conscious capitalism. So conscious capitalism, actually, if, if I trace it back, started on the ranch. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother and father are the dream of the divine masculine and divine feminine. Mm-hmm. Whew, I'm gonna... <laughs> you, got, you got me emotional oh, talking about the ranch it. now. Um, so I was raised with the ideal mother, the mm-hmm. ideal father, and the ideal scenario of... Mm-hmm being able to have the balance of the two. Mm -hmm. And my parents were always taking people in and always helping them. Mm. And even though we were a large operational cattle ranch, uh, we weren't raised with money. Mm -hmm. I remember only being able to take one piece of bread. And and I remember, uh, and I didn't know that we didn't have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. We shopped at garage sales for all of our clothing. Um, I didn't know what it was like to buy a pants that was more than 50 cents until I was probably 14 years old. And that's real. Mm. And so my parents would take people in and they would never question anything. And they would take a lot of times it was single mothers with kids. And we were big at that point into church. I was raised in the church and, mm-hmm. and they just never, ever, ever missed an opportunity to reach out and to help someone. Mm. And so I saw that growing up and then we were in church every Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. And so we were constantly, I was constantly seeing people being cared for, loved on. And so Mm -hmm. my heart was always open and expanded where I see a lot of people's heart centers are closed because they've had a lot of trauma. I had the opposite. My heart center was open from a young age, working with animals, working on the ranch, being with my family, my parents, having three incredible sisters, um so there was this love to help humanity and then my father was such an example of the divine masculine and how he would constantly take care of the feminine around him and constantly be loving on people and giving to people it was so beautiful and so we would go to old folks homes and sing on the weekends and we would take Mm -hmm. care of elderly and and as I was as I started my own business at 18 um giving was always on my heart so i'd go trim trees for people my first company was a tree trimming company Mm -hmm. and i would do things for people that couldn't afford it because i loved it Mm -hmm. and i always believed that in the giving there was a tenfold return Mm -hmm. and i I don't believe that you should give with an expectation of return because expectation leads to to suffering Mm -hmm. but but there was always a knowing that there was a karmic field and it would return in some form or fashion. And so as I started growing and getting older, um, 26, sold that first company, started the real estate investment company. I moved from the small town and I went to the big city and it was this giant culture shock. And when I got to the big city and I started getting into these big properties, I started to see the lives that these children were living and yet i had to i had the the opposite example so i had the example of this blissful childhood and i'm walking into an apartment building that i just bought and i'm seeing children in the unit with mushrooms growing out of the baseboard six inches tall and they just stop cutting them because they grow so fast and for mushrooms to be in the baseboard there has to be feces in the baseboard because it has to have fertilizer and so so you've got children living in a scenario 
so opposite of mine that was hard to comprehend. And I mm -hmm. thought, it's not my job to save everyone, but it is my job for everyone who comes into my ether to be able to reflect the light that I had as a child into their life to hopefully give them an understanding that there is a different way. And so conscious capitalism started when I started to realize that if you do business a certain way, everyone that's involved can win, mm. whether involuntary or voluntary. Hey, my friends, thank you for being with us so far. I hope you're enjoying the interview. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about our signature heart print coaching. Our heart print coaching is for you if you're ready to go all in on becoming a heart centered leader, ready to go all in on doing more of what you love, ready to see what you are capable of with support, guidance and accountability. You're ready to go on a rapid transformational journey that will change your life and others in as little as three months. Are you ready to show up with courage and share your gift with the world? Ready to start making an income and more impact by doing what you love? Ready to start leaving your legacy where those around you are left better than yesterday? In our Heartprint Signature Coaching, in our time together, I'll help you lead from your heart set. I'll help you develop other people and your team. I'll help you bring your heart work to the world. I'll help you start leaving a legacy and capturing examples of your impact. I will help you be someone you love, to do more of what you love, and to serve people that you love. It's an amazing opportunity for someone who's ready to go all in and be a heart-centered leader. I'll throw in loads of other bonuses, including your life languages profile, uh, access to our Master Heart and Mind membership, and even some Always Better Than Yesterday merchandise. Head to abty.co.uk forward slash coaching to find out more, and I look forward to connecting with you very soon. That's abty.co.uk. Yeah. I'd love to get into some of the elements of what that means and how, you, how you've made decisions and the types of things that you've uh, done with conscious capitalism, but I just want to touch on the the fatherhood element of it just i wasn't planning on going here but because you just described your father in such a beautiful way with the divine masculine i don't think people in the general world have an an appreciation between the differences between divine masculine and the toxic masculine i think it's all getting lumped into one and misunderstood and, and i guess to set the context i imagine in these um environments in the inner city you've seen many broken families absent fathers or even toxic um weak fathers what has those two polar experiences shaped your understanding around what it means to be a father such a beautiful question i believe that sacred masculinity divine masculinity has to have the balance of the feminine mm -hmm. and so when we have traumatic events as children and we become fathers and we don't step into a state of awareness because the beginning of consciousness is awareness mm -hmm. and if we don't step into a state of awareness by dealing with those challenges and those traumas that toxicity that is still with us from the trauma of our childhood most likely passed down to us from our father then gets amplified and becomes toxic to the mm -hmm. children of that man 
because the awareness has not been there to deal with the previous trauma. Mm. And with my father, uh, he's a very, very aware individual. And he has the most beautiful ego because ego has to be there, right? To be mm. in this physical world. His, be- his ego is so beautiful, but it's not wrapped around his physical appearance. It's not wrapped around the things he has. It wrapped around, it's wrapped around the congruency of the man that he says he is. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so my grandfather was not such a beautiful man, mm-hmm. uh, very hard, uh, very um, old school, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the kind of guy that just everything was negative with. And so for my father to step out of that toxicity and decide that he was going to be a man that was a balance of the divine masculine and divine feminine um, and show that to us. It was beautiful. Mm. But I think a lot of today's toxicity in the male environment is a lack of understanding what the balance is. Yeah. And that starts with the home. If you don't have a mother who stepped into her divine feminine, you don't have a father who stepped into his divine masculine and they don't meet in the middle, there's going to be a clash of the titans and there's always going to be a power struggle and the children are going to take in that vibration they're going to take Mm -hmm. in all of that power struggle and then the toxicity will continue for generations and generations Mm. that's powerful i was watching something earlier by jordan peterson that says actually the the opposite thing happens when you try and create a um ubiquitous society where all things are equal he says that something quite paradoxical happens which is actually our differences magnify so in trying to become equal we actually reveal our differences and i think that is such a wonderful way of saying actually um we both bring something terribly not terribly that's the wrong word we both bring something so unique to the table um both masculine feminine in that polarity that um that actually, I, th- I think bringing light to that, bringing that fullness of expression to that, those differences really helps people find that, yeah, this is my contribution. This is what I've been given. And this is my, how I fit in and I, and I, and I contribute to something bigger than myself. Yes. And the division that's happening in the planet right now with this, am I feminine? Am I masculine? Mm-hmm. Am I a man? Am I a woman? How am I? how am i identifying (laughs) and it we're simply fighting nature yes and you you can't fight a seed if the seed is designed to be a rose yes you can do anything you want you can call it anything you want it's going to bloom and blossom to become a rose and i saw the most beautiful thing yesterday on youtube this this incredible woman came out and she said to the women of the world she said Ladies, you're fighting nature. Mm. Nature will always prevail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I was I've been reading the um the Gospel of Mary, which is a, a text not not so universally spread, but um in it there are some significant words that Jesus says to to her, and um in it he talks about how we have a sickness of attachment to matter. And actually, our attachment to matter causes a um, passion against nature. And passion in those terms used to mean suffering. So I guess what I've taken from her one liner that Jesus said to her is that we are suffering as human beings because we go against the very nature of life. 
Yes. <laughs> and and nature is life. Right. Yeah. And totally agree. Matter matter is beautiful because again, when you become more consciously aware of this physical plane and how matter is created, that everything is a particle until it becomes I mean, everything is a wave until it becomes a particle mm. through the physical thought and mm. then we create matter even mm. if it's just an energetic frequency yeah the the, the awareness of matter is so true and mm. nothing really matters yeah yeah, that's powerful. One of the things you talk about as you go into these um, multifamily housing uh, places, um, it, you say the first the first step of, of conscious capitalism is keeping people in their homes, and then the second is hiring homeless off the streets. Man, like that is so touching. I like talk to me about the practicalities. Like, why, 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 like, why don't the government do this? Why aren't the government looking after people in this way? <laughs> Um, first and foremost, it comes back to what you said about people focusing on matter. Yeah. I had an opportunity to be pretty, pretty exposed to the United States government. Mm -hmm. And um, I have to admit, I was quite shocked and disappointed of the mm -hmm. focus of the next rung of the ladder. Mm -hmm. So if I would meet Ryan in the White House, and Ryan's part of the presidential staff, all Ryan really cares about, and this is obviously not pertaining to you, but <laughs> that person that I would be meeting, all they cared about was the next rung in the ladder. Yeah. And it was, it was mind numbing the mm. things that would occur out of lack of experience. And so the government, to answer your question, the billions of dollars that they spend yeah. on homelessness is actually causing more homelessness that it's perpetuating the problem and I, I haven't totally decided whether or not i believe they're doing it purposefully mm -hmm. or they're doing it um just out of pure ignorance and lack of awareness mm -hmm. but the the conscious part of going in and purchasing apartment buildings is recognizing that first and foremost those are human beings those are souls and those are lives who, as we talked about earlier, have also decided to come and experience life in a certain way. Yeah. And I believe that the more challenging the life is that you decide to jump into as a quote-unquote young soul, mm -hmm. the more the growth occurs in that lifetime, whether it's short or it's long, mm -hmm. more growth, because experience equals growth, spiritually, mentally, and physically. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter what somebody's perception might go well that's not the right growth i don't think that's for us to decide yeah. and so i would walk into these units i would see these individuals and a lot of people in my business on the crony capitalist side they'll buy an apartment building with this grandiose vision of coming in renovating everything making it look really sexy pushing everyone out and doing what's called gentrifying the area and while I understand that evolution has to happen in a former fashion where things evolve and old comes down and new is, is erected, mm -hmm. it needs to be done in a conscious fashion, understanding how you're affecting or infecting the people in that area. Mm -hmm. And so when we came in and saw all these individuals, I knew because of the way I was raised, 
that they just needed to see one paradigm different. Mm-hmm. They're in this reality. All we need to do is shift the lane and they can see something different and believe in something different. And it doesn't mean they're going to take off with that lane. It mm-hmm. just means that they now have a larger peephole to look through. And so mm-hmm. we started our first nonprofit for that reason. And the design behind the nonprofit was not to give something away because giving things away is killing our world. Mm. Something for free is never beneficial. Mm. There is an ebb and a flow of nature that says, I give you something and I get something in return that is equal or lesser value, but Mm. there is an exchange of energy. The flower and the bee. Yes, exactly. Perfect example. And so when I came into these properties, we purchased them for a very good price because they were in such a bad shape and then we would renovate them. And so I would have to design a plan to move these people around. We would literally come in with boxes because these are single mothers who have nothing. I've walked into, I've walked into thousands of units where the children are sitting on milk carts, watching an old TV that the, what we used to call the boob tube where the big giant Mm -hmm. TVs, right? Mm -hmm. They'd watch these old TVs. The mother would actually be at work. I walked in on tons of kids where four-year-olds are watching two-year-olds. And they're just left at home alone. No food, no nothing. And there's no furniture in the house. And the mother has to work two jobs to be able to pay rent and have enough food. And she can't afford daycare because daycare Mm. is so bloody expensive. Mm. And so what we did was we realized that if we were to displace these people, it would create more homelessness. Mm -hmm. And so we built a program to move these individuals around and the nonprofit was built to take this individual. And we take Mary, for example, and we start building a budget for her because they don't, they've never been taught how to budget money. They don't understand that money is a tool and um, it's not something that's just built for survival. And so we started building a budget and they started to understand that maybe I can or can't do these certain things. And so um, you would see things in their life change. The, the wild, crazy hair would all of a sudden have to become natural hair because they couldn't afford the $300 a month to be able to go get their hair done. And you'd see their behaviors change. Mm-hmm. And once the behaviors change, then the, because the beliefs and values equal your behaviors. Mm-hmm. So once the behaviors would change, the reverse psychology would change the beliefs and values. And then they would take their financial acuity back. They would be able to afford a greater rent because here in America, we have this stupid thing called fair housing where I can't help somebody unless I help them all. Right. So with the nonprofit, um, we were able to help people in the manner of pick and choose. Mm-hmm. And so we started to build financial acuity and started to be able to help individuals in these units. And then where the homelessness came in is um, necessity is the mother of all invention. And as we moved into these rougher areas, um, the company that I had built was fully vertically integrated. So we had an umbrella that would purchase the property, a property management company that would manage it, a nonprofit that would help keep people in their homes. And then uh, we had a construction company and we struggled like no tomorrow keeping these individuals in the company. We would mm-hmm. hire people and they'd blow out within a few days because they didn't want to work in these rough, rough neighborhoods and in mm-hmm. these rough units. That's how bad they were. And so there was a bridge out underneath one of the properties that we now tagged as Joey's Bridge and there's media on it and all kinds of stuff. But we went out underneath there and we found this gentleman holding a sign 
and he had two kids with him and he'd been in and out of prison i want to say five or six times and and he decided this was the last time he was never going back he would rather die than go back as was what his words were he had his two kids with him and his two kids were in a foster home nearby the bridge so they would sneak out to come see him under the bridge and they would hang out with him for a couple days and his kids were his life Mm. a couple hours i'm sorry before they went back so we went out interviewed him made sure he was lucid brought him in and, and he thought he honestly thought that we were going to harvest his organs is, was his words he's like <laughs> these guys are going to kill me and sell my organs on the black market and when that didn't happen we actually came brought him in onboarded him as an employee got his first health insurance he's ever had eye medical dental took him in showed him his unit that he could live in uh, we had furnished his unit with the basics and um, then we took him down and we, we bought all the tools he needed for his trade and he was building air conditioner boxes. So he needed all the stuff for, to be a craftsman. And then we showed him how to use a table saw and showed him how to cut all the boxes. And he excelled so mm -hmm. rapidly that it was so beautiful. His skin color started to change and everything started to change. And so I have to reverse a little bit here. I mm -hmm. love biology. And I love yep. mix, mixing biology with spirituality. Yep. So my, my hero is Dr. Joe Dispenza yep. um, and Dr. Bruce Lipton. And it was on my Greg podcast Braden. yesterday. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah, Bruce Lipton, episode 206. Yep. Oh, so beautiful. I am so passionate about his work. Mm. So I've studied it to the nth degree. I've never met the man, but I would love to geek out with him for hours. So cells take on the environment that they're in and so cells will move towards immortality or mortality based on where they're at mm -hmm. but as dr bruce lipton has said when you take a petri dish of healthy cells and you put unhealthy cells by them the unhealthy cells will move over to those healthy cells to take on the vibration of those healthy cells mm -hmm. and so by mm -hmm. us removing them from the environment that tells them they're homeless putting them in a new environment that when they open these receptors called eyes they take in a new frequency mm -hmm. that says something has changed mm -hmm. the cells can start changing so 694,000 cells a minute reproducing it only hits it has to hit a 51 percent tipping point is what we found and then there's the downhill slide where everything starts to manifest a new world a new life and as Dr. Joe Dispenza teaches, falling in love with the future self. Mm. And so we started to see this algorithm working. So I started building a software to manage the construction process of being able to take homeless off the street. So we built a whole company called Our Technologies, mm -hmm. built a full stack of developers, and we started building this construction ERP system. And I built the algorithms into it that were Dr. Joe Spence and Dr. Bruce Lipton's algorithms of healing because every single one of these individuals was programmed to self-destruct. And so no matter how good something got, it was there was a self-destruct scenario around every corner. And we had to anticipate that. And we had to be able to take out that self-destruct mechanism mm -hmm. before they got to it. And so we created a process where these guys would accidentally succeed all the time. Mm. And so we identified that the number one human need is significance. If you can't feel a sense of significance, nothing else matters. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. You can't accept love if you can't feel significance. You can't give love if you can't feel significance. So significance comes by understanding that you are of value mm-hmm. to the world around you. Mm-hmm. And so we built all kinds of dopaminergic sensing into the software so that these guys could see, oh, wow, I just succeeded. 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 Mm. And over the course of time, through those successes, they would start to heal. Mm. And so we had about an 80% success rate of people coming off the street and healing. They were making between $160 and $240 a day. They were learning a, a specific trade and a craft for a specific amount of time. And we broke these trades down to very small bite-sized pieces because we realized that that mind in that fragile state, it couldn't have questions. So every time you put down a tool and you pick up a new tool, there's 26 minutes of residue, mental residue, it's called. Mm-hmm. So I had to keep them focused. They couldn't put down tools. They had to use just the one tool and we had to break everything down to very small bite-sized pieces mm-hmm. and very small wins that add up to big wins. So it's kind of, so comes beautiful. back to what you said earlier about your dad is so in alignment with who he believes himself to be. Yes. Yeah, it's keeping that yes. focus, isn't it? This is who I am. Well, this is who I'm becoming and 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 everything else is a reinforcement of that. Whether that be positive or negative, depending on the environment we face. Absolutely. The congruency mm. sets in. And then the because of that, then the significance starts to set in and they start to become a family. So um we hired hundreds of them. Uh, across the country and had a great success. Uh, COVID really smashed us. Mm. And as I put in the bio, COVID was um, one of the great lessons that I had to learn. And so, but one of the greatest joys of my life was working with the homeless individuals. And I worked with them, hundreds of them one-on-one. That's where the the new Breathwork app was born. That's how I met David Florence. Uh, These were the angels that uh, when we'd go to the properties, I had, we worked in nine states across the country and I would 300 days a year, I would travel and I'd, I'd let, I'd come to the property and I usually wear a three piece suit so that they identify me and they, they know that I'm there. And then when I love on them, I'm in a three piece suit. It just means something to them. Mm-hmm. I just noticed that the perception was a greater transfer of energy when I loved on them. Mm-hmm. And so we would do breathwork classes every morning. So they'd see me show up. They'd see the guy in the suit and they're like, oh, we're going to have breathwork classes tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So I'd get everybody in the room and we'd lay everyone out and there'd be 40 or 50 people. And we'd start breathing our asses off and um, they'd get high on their own supply. And then they would come to me afterwards and they would always want to have the video. And I, I attempted to video it. I attempted to email it to them. It was either too dark or the sound cut out, something happened. So three years ago on Christmas, one of them texted me and said, hey, could I please get a video? And uh, it would help them through a lot of tough times. So I would have to send them a video off of YouTube, just a YouTube link, hoping that they could get on YouTube and watch it. Yeah. And I decided then that I would build the, the Breath Source, which is the app that is now being built through our second tech company. Yeah. And um, so I got to give kudos to these angels. They... They helped me in a lot of ways to know myself as a reflector, as a reflection mm. to me, and to also see the joys of this planet and then build this new technology. I love that. I um, 
I was looking down the list of your breathmasters and uh, Dan Vadney, his channel is the one that I have always listened to. Um, like, you know, I mean, I got into the breathwork side of things through Vim, uh, particularly through COVID. Um, but Dan's channel was, was definitely something that um, really, really helped. And and I've also had one of our good friends, Mike Meyer, on the on the podcast too. So we've got some good friends in common. There's some incredible human beings that you've got on on that Breathmasters list. But um, for anybody that's kind of listening, hasn't really dipped their toe into breathwork, why do you think that breathwork, both for you, but also the thirty to fifty men in a room, what what does it what does it do? Like, what does it help you be? Whether that be physical, mental, spiritual, like. Why should someone get involved? Thank you for asking that question. It makes me so excited. <laughs> like a little kid telling a story. <laughs> <laughs> so I love breath. And uh, I constantly say breath. What is breath? Yeah. Your body is made of 99 to the 14th power of empty space. <laughs> breath is made of empty space. Mm. So empty space meets empty space and keeps empty space alive. Like, so, so if we stop for two seconds and ask ourselves a seriously genuine question, what is in breath that keeps us alive? Mm -hmm. So it's the one thing, it's the one mechanism. So you could, getting a little gruesome here, you could cut your arteries, you mm -hmm. could do those things. You're going to live for five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 minutes, 12 minutes, somewhere there, but you stop breathing for a certain period of time, it's lights out. Mm -hmm. And so... I love breath because I've been on, I understand plant medicine very well, mm -hmm. but breath is the original plant medicine. Mm -hmm. It comes from the plants to us. The, the earth is 21.8% oxygen. It never varies even a 10th of a percent. That's how perfectly structured source is. And when we breathe in, hopefully through our nose, <laughs> When we breathe in through our nose and that oxygen comes in through the airways and it comes yep. into the alveoli of the chest of the lungs, the red blood cell comes in and it grabs 270 million little hemoglobin reached out and pull over a billion little oxygen molecule passengers into this red blood cell. And they take those little billion little supercharged oxygen molecules marry them in the mitochondria with glucose this explosion of prime source energy happens and that prime source energy in that supercharged cell that's wrapped in salt water that's its own little ecosystem of a of a design like a human being and this is why i just love dr bruce lipton <laughs> takes that all that energy and has to find this little carbon dioxide molecule. And I had this download actually in the shower a couple of years ago. That's where I get all my downloads. Mm -hmm. it, it transfers all that energy up into the tissues. And the tissues, every time we move, make this incredible chemical that I believe is the most important molecule known to man and the planet, which is carbon dioxide. Because without carbon dioxide, man nor the planet is going to live. So it makes this carbon dioxide molecule and that red blood cell has to find that carbon dioxide molecule and they have to talk and they have to agree to swap out. Mm -hmm. So then that energy called ATP is released into the mm -hmm. tissue mm -hmm. and that red blood cell now has made an agreement to take that carbon dioxide back to the lungs. And here's the key <laughs> to be 
breathed back out to Gaia mm. so that she can take in Ryan's specifically coded to him and his body's carbon dioxide and know and love on Ryan everywhere he's at, no matter where he's at. Mm. Gaia knows where you're moving 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because you are breathing out your carbon dioxide and she's breathing it in. And <laughs> I had that download of our carbon dioxide is coded to each one of us very specifically. And it's so beautiful to know that we are dancing with the planet all day, mm. every day. Mm. So that's first awareness. We're taking in plant medicine. We're giving back life to the planet. Mm. So that's the first dance, first stage. Then the second stage of that is realizing that breath is God. It mm. is Soma. It is the elixir of life. So what is an elixir? An elixir is something that has, um, that has uh, specific utility to be able to take you into an altered state. And so there's a story about Soma and there's a story about the gods running out of the elixir. And when they ran out of the elixir that they would get into an altered state on, they had to figure out something else to be able to get into an altered state on. And they, they found breath. Hmm. And when they found breath, they, they coined it Soma. And they realized that they could get into this altered state through breath. And so when we go through certain breathing modalities, and you mentioned Dan Badney, mm -hmm. um, he was my catalyst into the breathwork world as well. Mm -hmm. And when you go into a DMT alkaline breathing, yeah. and you put the body through these intense hyperventilation mm -hmm. scenarios, it raises the alkalinity in the pH of the body 60 to 70 basis points in a very short period of time. And doing that puts enough stress on the body that it activates your endocrine system, activates the nervous system, puts you in a very heightened sympathetic mode, and also through certain modalities can release, and, and we're still working on the science of this, but very small amounts of dimethyltryptamine, mm -hmm. which are held in the pineal gland and held in the base of the lungs. So we, mm -hmm. we still are working on the base of the lungs one, but, and even some tiny bit, little bit, I think is found in the liver. Um, but that God molecule, Mm -hmm. is the is the molecule that separates the soul from the body upon a traumatic event and it's also the molecule that flows through children from the ages of one to seven heightened from the ages of one to three mm. and so here's this precious molecule in our body also knows known as the crown the christ consciousness the third eye um all mm. of that coming together into this one precious little gland called the pineal gland, pineal gland, however you want to say it. And breath is an opportunistic way to tap into that and tap into the endocrine system and come to an altered state spiritually where you can know thyself in a new level, release trauma at a new level, reprogram the nervous system at a new level, create carbon dioxide tolerance at a new level. And in my opinion, I think there's chance to live forever from it. Mm -hmm. I believe that our bodies are meant to live forever. I believe that we're designed to live forever. And I believe that breath is an opportunity to tap into that level of abundance. 
Mm. Mm. I definitely don't do it enough. Uh, even just hearing you speak, <laughs> like I used to go to a gym where we would do it, you know, five five a.m. every morning. Uh, we'd all get together. It'll be dark. We'd all get the mats out, do our, you know, our our alkaline breathing, and then we'd go into a workout. And uh, I've changed gyms recently, and it's just made me realize how much I miss that experience. Mm. Well, that's the cool thing about breath is it's always right here. Right. Yeah. And I mean, we, we could stop and do a 10 second reset and you're going to feel it mm. um, because of the effect that it has on the body. And, you know, there's a utility with breath that uh, oxygen advantage and Patrick McCowan is such an angel yeah. to this world mm -hmm. of what he's brought to this planet. But breathing in through the nose yes. and and mixing with your nasal oxide and mm -hmm. and the the benefits to the body, the mind, and the spirit of that alignment is just incredible. Mm. But there's also this spiritual side of it through holotropic breathing, psychedelic breathing, um, DMT alkaline breathing, mm. where I've I've had the opportunity to go on every plant medicine journey that <laughs> is available. Um, and every frog medicine, all, all of them, and yet breath is capable, if not more capable, of every single one of those. And what's cool, what's the what's the great di greatest difference in my opinion between a plant medicine journey and a breath journey, is in the breath journey you're tapping into your own chemical mm -hmm. that's coded to you, your dimethyltryptamine that is coded to separating your soul from your body that's to tune into source opposed to a plant, which is still very valuable and very viable. But I think there's a drastic difference there in my opinion. Yeah. Tell us about the, the, the app and when's it set for release and um, yeah, why someone should go and uh, so what's the method people go and download it from the app store and what will be on there? Yeah. So the app um, it's called the breast source and we have, so we're starting launch with 18 of the world's largest breath masters. Mm. So blessed to have this beautiful co-creative platform. <laughs> um, and, and it's an extension of conscious capitalism because we were, we were so blessed to be able to make contact with like Mike Mayer, uh, David Florence, Dan Vadney, all of these guys. And the world's greatest guys said, you know what? It is time to come together. It is time to unite, it's time to unify, and it's time to take breath to the world as a collective whole. And I'm so proud of them, and I'm so passionate for that with them, and the conscious capitalist piece of that. And so it's a, it's a content creator-owned platform, so all the breath masters all own a part of the platform, so it's 100% owned by breath masters. Um, and the app will be out on february 3rd which is now national breathing or world breathing day mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um they'll be able to download it in the app store and the google play store so it'll be out for iphone and android and we have some new technology that will be rolling out uh quarter two called breath exchange where people will be able to actually make money breathing so ryan can buy a class from dan badney and mm -hmm send it out to his following and make money by by um i say mm. pushing breaths across the world but by ex by exposing breath across the world to the, your your followings and live classes and some really beautiful things so 
Well, I believe timing is everything, and this conversation will be aired on the 1st of February. So if you are listening to this, make sure you mark in your diary February 3rd and make sure you go download the Breath Source app. I have already put it in my calendar, my friend. I shall be downloading it as soon as I wake up. Awesome, man. Well, we look forward to that. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, I have a word here, always better than yesterday, and it is a word that kind of comes from my policing background. We used to teach all the detectives um, the Lockhart's exchange principle. And it's this idea that every contact leaves a trace. And, and for a detective, that was good for their minds to be able to think about what has the offender left of themselves at the scene. But I think when, when, when it comes to heart-centered leadership, I, I think we, we leave an impact, we leave a mark, we leave a one degree of possibility. And that for me is what I call heart print. It's the possibilities that we create, it's the legacy we leave, it's the impact uh, that we leave behind. With the incredible things that you have done in your career, whether it be through conscious capitalism, whether it be through the work that's yet to come into the world, what do you think your heart print will be? That's a beautiful question and beautiful way of saying that, Ryan. I hope that my heart prints lives long after I've left this physical plane. And I hope that it's a shining light of the balance of the divine masculine and the divine feminine and how that can radiate out into the world to raise collective consciousness. Mm. And my goal on my heart print here would be to leave the planet much better than it was when I came. And not because I saw it as needing my help but I saw it as a reflection of me and an opportunity of me to heal and therefore heal the planet. Mm. Mm, that's so powerful. I remember um, listening to Sadhguru in his book, Karma. He, he talked about how um, the, the balance of masculine and feminine when brought together um, creation you know, the, the, the thing that one plus one equals three, that there's something new in the world, that is anything that is created in the world is always a balance of masculine and feminine. Anything that is created that is sustainable or lacked mm. is the balance of the masculine and the feminine. I would agree with that. Yeah, I, I remember hearing, I was in preparing for this, I, I heard you get interviewed and, and one of the things that, isn't always done in, in the industry, uh, the real estate is, is about um, sustainability and longevity. And I guess that's kind of always better than yesterday kind of mentality and, and, mm -hmm. and desire is to leave people better, not because we're present, but because we're absent. Sure. Yeah, and, and one of the things about people and understanding how to work with, and this, this was one of the gifts of my marriage, um, I was married for 13 years, and one of the greatest gifts she gave me was understanding that you can't just tell somebody to get over it. Hmm. I was raised in this beautiful household where we weren't traumatically charged, and when we were told to get over it, we just got over it. Hmm. And she was raised in the opposite of that. And so understanding that when we work with people, there's a process, and the first thing we have to make sure we do is we don't um we don't affect their process on mm. this planet because oftentimes we put our own desires because we want to fill our own holes 
in our own soul into their world trying to fill their hole like rolling up to a homeless guy on the street and giving him twenty dollars yeah never helps him never not in any scenario not in any snowstorm not in anything it never empowers him Mm -hmm. to not be homeless Mm. and i'll have that conversation with anybody on the planet we're always fulfilling a desire within us Mm -hmm. And perpetuating the actual perceived problem. Mm. And so you can't rush human evolution. When we rush human evolution, we will have wars and explosions. Why do you think people rush it? Is it a discomfort? Is it a discomfort within them that's um, manifest in their actions, their desires? Like, what, what do you think is causing that, um, that speed? I would say one word, attachment. Right. Attachment to our expectations of what we think things should be. Yeah. Do you think that's driven by capitalism? I think it's driven by ego. Ego. Pain pain is inevitable. Yeah. But suffering is a choice. choice. And suffering can only come through attachment to an outcome. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Good. So we think that there shouldn't be any homelessness, but how can we know we're have what a home is if we don't have homelessness? We think there should be no killing, but how can we know that we're not a killer if there if there's no killing? There can be no hero if there's no villain. The in the absence of that which is not, that which is is not. So beautifully said in Conversations with God by Neil Donald Long. It has to be there. And we fight ourselves by fighting the opposite. Yeah. These were conversations I could never get engaged in a couple of years ago because I didn't have the conscious hardware to have a clue what you were saying. But I think it's <laughs> it's in this polarity. It's in this, you know, life is polarity. And, um, you know, and, and being able to navigate the gray between the two, it's not, it's not simplistically one thing. And, you know, one of my favorite books at the moment is Power Versus Force by mm. David Hawkins. Great, yeah. You know, I come from a police force background and, you know, I said to someone the other day that the presence of the police force by its very nature creates a crime presence. And someone said, well, naive, well, you can't be so naive to just get rid of the police force altogether. And I was like, well, that's because you look at the the rest of the way that we've built our society. And, uh, you know, when we had communities of up to 200 people, it was a lot easier to self-police, right? Because your survival and your acceptance within that tribe would have been predicated on your getting along with everybody because uh, the risk to you, <laughs> you know, there was no need for a police force. Yeah. One of the gifts that I had in my world was because we were buying these properties in the rough areas. Um, we had a lot of crime. So we'd buy yeah. a property that had 1200 police calls in a year. Yeah. And so that's a hundred police calls a month. Mm. And so I had to build a private security company and I, and part of the balance of the divine masculine and divine feminine was I was raised with a father who's very, very protective, especially of the feminine. And so we were raised armed all the time, very tactically trained. Um, my dad has a survivalist mentality and background. Mm-hmm. And so we were raised in that. And so my little sister, who's my BFF, uh, <laughs> ride or die. Um, we started a security company and it was a high threat security company. And we looked, straight out of Afghanistan, ARs on our chest, 
sidearms, full bulletproof gear, and we would do surveillance on our properties and the police wouldn't help us. They literally said, if we come to your property, we're going to get shot at. So we don't respond to calls. And I know they're supposed to, you know, have to do that, but they literally said, we'll just do a drive-by start our lights and, and we're not coming in. And so, yeah. And so we would come in and we would do our own surveillance. Uh, We tagged the unit and we, we'd set up, um, we call it a smash we'd set up a smash and we'd have five of us and because i owned the property i had full jurisdiction to protect the residents and the property at all costs i didn't need a warrant to go in a unit or anything mm-hmm. and so we would go into these units and 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 as a conscious person and as a loving person i will forwardly admit that i've had my rifle barrel shoved into the cheek of many many people pressing them against the floor to protect individuals in that building because of the intentions of that individual some people Mm -hmm. would say well that's not consciousness Mm -hmm. but that comes back to i know i'm capable of great peace because i know i'm capable of great violence yeah isn't and isn't it the phrase if it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a warrior in in a war (laughs) exactly yeah exactly and this comes back to what you originally said the more I engaged in fighting what I was actually against. So I'll say that I was against these individuals in in our properties. They would hurt the value of the property. They would hurt the individuals. They would hurt the people. We had people who were afraid to take the trash out. And this was right after we purchased the properties. And they were big, like 800 units, uh, 40 acres, big properties. Um, We would stop sex trafficking and, and a lot of drug traffic. But We've had threats from every gang in the country, all that stuff. And what I realized is that I actually started to become that which I was fighting. And this comes back to the original quote that you brought up. It's another gift of experience that I've had in my life where when I'm fully strapped up and I'm ready to go to battle, even with the level of consciousness that I I Mm. currently am at, I still change in that dopamine ergic sense the chemicals still flow i still get addicted to them and i actually found myself becoming the person that i was fighting yeah my wife um my wife's writing a song at the moment she's a musician she's a singer and and you know we have a christian faith and you know she's writing lyrics where she's pretty much like uh, screaming the chorus which is i i know i have to die tonight and it's that dying of self, dying to self so that I can live, so I can live forever, so I can transcend myself. That's so beautiful. Mm. And the only way you can die to self is to know thyself. Right. And, and you, you find, see and that, you find that in the voice, you find that in the breath. Like, is that how you, are there a number of ways that you engage with that or, or is breath the, the, the primary way that you start to get to know thyself? Because I'm not sure people understand it, but many people I talk to, they're like, it's breathing, mate. Like, what are you chatting about? (laughs) (laughs) So that's another great question, man. Great questions, Ryan. Um, I think the greatest way to get to know thyself is through experience. Um, Knowledge is a book on a bookshelf. Wisdom is the ability to use knowledge. But there's there's a perfect gap between the two. And there has to be a bridge built because... If without the two combined, they're worthless. 
And so we got all these people out there in the world that are talking about all their knowledge and all the books and all the colleges they graduated from. And I give two craps. Mm. If you don't have experience, I don't even want to talk to you. And so getting out mm -hmm. and getting experience while being consciously aware starts to build the bridge between the two mm -hmm. to where eventually because of the experience you can understand the wisdom the knowledge mm -hmm. and you can use it as a tool in your life yeah and so breath work is a beautiful way to tap into the nervous system on a mm -hmm. really really deep level mm -hmm. and i went I went really deep and I really like to geek out on the science of exhale holds. And so yep. I was able to get my exhale hold up to six and a half minutes. Ooh. And um, in that process, mm. I had to dive into my physical self mm. on a level where I had to experience tremendous pain, yeah. tremendous fear, tremendous potential mm -hmm. of everything imaginable and a physician or a western medical doctor would say that six and a half minutes is going to cause brain damage and um it's going to cause all kinds of things i was mm -hmm. able to get my heart rate down to just mm -hmm. right at 20 beats a minute wow and all of those things are medically impossible but yet <laughs> again it comes back to we're made of 99 to the 14th power of empty space air is made of empty space mm. there is nothing that is impossible as long as we understand who we are and the yeah. divinity that we're built within and that this is a computer that can be reprogrammed and breath yeah. is a phenomenal way if you are serious enough about yeah. the change to dive into the nervous system at the cellular level and go deep into what is possible as a human being mm, wow that's powerful six minutes i mean i've done about three three and a half nearly four at my max and i'd say when i came around from that that's good I, I didn't know where i was i'd like i'd literally i i that last time i did it i can't i can't it, i i came round and i just went and spoke to my wife i was just like I don't know how long I was in there for. I don't know what I was doing. The only reason I know how long I was because I have my timer next to me. But for you could have told me that I had been somewhere for half an hour or whatever. I would have believed you because I had. I can't even use words to describe it. I can't mm. even use words to describe it. And that's that space of healing. That's right. that space of reprogramming. When we get out of our way, mm. source can come and can move things around no time no place no ego no mind that is the mm. space of healing mm. i love that want to be super conscious and respectful of your time where can people connect with you where can they find out more about the great work that you're doing in the world um so the breath source dot app is our website and again the breath source app will be launching on february 3rd and we're so excited to build a conscious co-creative community there and uh, we'll, be, we'll be taking in breathwork instructors from all over the world uh, into stage two and stage three. Uh, so you can go there as a breathwork instructor and apply uh, on the website and we'll take you into the queue and we'll contact you and take it very seriously. We also have a lot of products for biohacking and bio supplements that we sell on the app. 
-hmm. and then we'll be at the UK uh, health convention. So mm -hmm. that's exciting. And so we'd love to see you guys there um, and live classes and all that good stuff. So my friend, I've absolutely loved this conversation. I hope we get to have another one very soon. And uh, I'll be honored if you'd leave us with a final thought from your good self. Uh, thank you so much. The final thought that I would encourage everyone to step up to the plate with would be realize that every single person you come across in your life is a reflection of something within you, either in that you have been, you are, or that you will be. And so if you can see that reflection, it'll be so much easier to treat them with love mm -hmm. and light. And that's been one of the greatest lessons in my world is every person that I shake hands with or come into contact with, I'm reflecting, they're reflecting something back to me that I can become aware of and change. Love it. Travis, thank you, brother. Thank you, guys. All the love and light. Hey, my friends, thank you for making it to the end. I hope that our time spent together today has left you a little bit better than before you push play. I'd really appreciate if you just took a moment to leave a review to allow me to meet more people where they are and hopefully leave them a little bit better too. If you're curious to know how I, through Always Better Than Yesterday, can serve you, your team, your organisation, then head to alwaysbetterthanyesterday.com to connect. And while you're there, let me know one or two things that you're going to do as a result of listening to this conversation. I absolutely love hearing your thoughts, your reflections, and the things that this spark in your own heart and mind. If you want more insights from my heart and mind, I do send out short episodes on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. And again, I hope that they serve you well. I appreciate you listening. I'm Ryan Hartley, host of the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast, a podcast for heart-centered leaders just like you.